Well, good morning. Okay, that's about half of you. Good morning. That's much better. Isn't it great to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Amen. Let me just tell you, you are very passionate worshipers of God. And uh, I served as a pastor in a number of churches for 29 years before uh, moving into this role with uh, the region of churches that Snowden is a part of in our fellowship of Evangelical Baptist Churches in Canada. And I've been doing this now for just over five years. And uh, even though I get to be in a lot of churches, you really miss being in one church, especially when you've pastored for 29 years. And uh, again, it is a joy to travel and be in various places. But let me tell you, this is one of my most favorite places to come. I say that sincerely and from my heart. This is a very special place. And you know that already, don't you? That's why you're here. And you do, do you know why it's special? It's because you are here. Absolutely. And those who helped lead us in singing and seeing Christ high and lifted up in this place this morning, thank you. Uh, And I noticed that though some were older, notice I didn't say old on the worship team, older, more mature, all of these young ones who are participating, God bless you for allowing them to serve in that way and use their gifts and their abilities to honor the Lord. That's a real privilege. And you are to be commended for that. My only disappointment, I know the children have to go, but I saw the teenagers leave as well. That makes me really sad because I love to preach to young people. So, but you're young people, right? All of you, all right? Young at heart anyways. But great to be with you. And uh, even as uh, Michael was up here as giving leadership to your pastoral search team, God will continue to lead you and guide you. And uh, in this time of transition and change, and how many of us appreciate that? Transition and change, okay? It's hard, (laughs) okay? We know that. But uh, one pastor I served with for many years in a church, he reminded the congregation of this consistently. Number one, living things grow. All you've got to do is look in God's creation. (laughs) You plant a tree and you water it and you fertilize it. What happens? It grows. Look at your children. (laughs) Okay, they're living things and they grow. But then he always used to remind the congregation there's no growth without change. Again, look at your children. They're not the same as the day you brought them home from the hospital. Uh, on my way here to Montreal, I actually, uh, normally I fly here, but uh, our son is in law school in New Hampshire, and he starts classes on Tuesday. And since I was going to be here for the weekend, uh, it saved me an airfare. So I'll fly back Tuesday night, but he and I drove together in his car um, and spent the night together and watched football last night. Can't beat that with your son to watch football. He's not just my son. He is my good friend, and we just enjoy being together. So we had six hours as well, extra time locked in the car. He's already been home for a month. And uh, you know what? It just reminded me, now he's 24, and he looks very different than the day we brought him home from the hospital. And so he should. Because why? He's a living thing. He grows, and there's no growth without change. And then Mark Twain said this, the only people who really appreciate change are wet babies. (laughs) Change is hard, but you know what? It's inevitable. And God is leading you through a time of change and a season of transition And God is faithful as he leads you. And uh, continue to pray, as Michael shared this morning, for your pastoral search team, for your board, leadership team, for your pastoral staff who are here, and God will lead you and be faithful in doing that. Well, this morning we have the incredible privilege as we wrap up our time together, and nobody told me when you're supposed to land the plane. So I guess (laughs) let me know, okay? If I'm supposed to land the plane, just do this. 
one pastor I served with, his wife would be in the front row, and uh, we'd see the numbers going up for the nursery all the time. In those days, we didn't have electronic numbers. The ushers used to slip in and put up little numbers, and that meant a mom was needed downstairs in the nursery because a baby was hungry or crying or whatever the needs were. And, you know, as he continued to preach, and uh, he was long, but he never got winded, okay? They say preachers are long-winded, okay? He was long, but never got winded. And he would keep preaching, and his wife would be doing this in the front row. That meant land the plane, you know, because the numbers kept going up, and there was noise in the nursery. <laughs> and uh, he just said, dear, don't worry about it. It takes longer to land a 747 than a Cessna. You just need a longer approach, okay? So we'll land the plane at some point. I promise you this morning, okay, that we will do that. Uh, could we pray together before we look into the Word of God this morning? And allow me, on your behalf, to speak to the author of this incredible book, before we study it together this morning. Father, we love you. I want to thank you for the joy and the privilege uh, that I have to be here today at Snowden Baptist. Thank you for these uh, men and women, these followers of Jesus who are here today, who love you deeply, who clearly have expressed that passion and that love for you through their singing, uh, through their playing of instruments, uh, through the prayers that have been offered this morning with great joy and great passion crying out to you for you to work in this place and to work in this city. And now, our Father, as we study the word together, thank you that this is your word. And I pray that you would place a watch over my lips as I preach this morning. And Lord, as Paul prayed for the church at Ephesus, you would open the eyes of our hearts. And we'd be ready not only to listen to your word today, but to put it into practice, to live it out in our daily lives as passionate followers of Jesus. We love you. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you don't have to watch television too long or listen to the radio or look in a magazine or see billboards around the city to realize very quickly there's lots of advertising that's all around us, right? Uh, media just bombards us with advertising, and we are saturated with, with slogans and branding and marketing to, to help to encourage us to do what? To buy the products that are being advertised. And slogans uh, have been popular for many, many years. There was one for a particular company that went like this, and it actually came out way back in 1956. So only those of us who are older this morning would probably remember what product was being advertised by this particular slogan. It went like this. It takes a licking, but keeps on ticking. Anybody remember? See, you're showing your age this morning. That came out, believe it or not, 1956. And do you remember... Uh, when, when the hands always showed, when they showed the face of that Timex watch, the hands were always at a certain time. What time was it? Do you remember? Ten and two. Okay, ten before two. Do you know why they did that? Because the word Timex was right in between there. And that framed the word Timex. That's where your focus went when you saw the face of the Timex watch. That's just one of numerous slogans. And, and you can go on the website and just Google slogans, advertising slogans. And you'll, you'll amaze yourself, as it amazed me, as I started to read through those, I could very quickly pick off the product that was being advertised. Whether it was back in 1956, by the way, I was born in 1961, so I wasn't around when that came out. Okay? But I was amazed how many of those I've heard over many, many years. Uh, just do it. You know what that's for, right? Okay, that's for Nike. Why? It's so popular. It's the real thing. Okay, it's Coca-Cola, right? Worldwide. If you see the golden arches, what do you think of right away? 
McDonald's. I was in Russia teaching pastors a few years ago for a couple of weeks in two cities, and there was golden arches everywhere. And even though I couldn't go in and order anything off the menu because I didn't have a clue unless I pointed at the picture, okay, I knew exactly that was a McDonald's. Why? Because of the branding, the marketing. We are saturated over and over and over again with media and with advertising. And this morning, I want us to focus on being saturated with the Word of God. And we must be as followers of Jesus. And just as well as we know products as a result of the branding and the marketing and the slogans that are out there, we need to be saturated and we need to know the Word of God as followers of Jesus. And if we're going to be passionate followers of Jesus, we have to be those as as individuals, as husbands and wives, as parents and grandparents, and as a congregation who are saturated with the Word of God, studying the Word of God personally, meditating upon the Word of God, memorizing the Word of God. And by the way, don't say that you are too old to do that. You can still memorize the Word of God. And we need to be immersed as followers of Jesus, saturated by the Word of God. And this morning, I want to challenge you from the Word of God as to the value of God's Word for us as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible is God's Word. Do you believe that this morning? Turn with me in your Bibles just again by way of introduction as we think about the Word of God to 2 Peter chapter 1 and just verses 20 and 21. And I encourage you this morning, whether you have a hard copy of the Scriptures or you have a copy on your smartphone this morning, just be ready to journey with me to a number of different verses and passages as we work through our time together this morning. But to frame our time as we think about the value of the Word of God, listen to what it says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Above all, Peter says, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. For prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though they were human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is God's word to us. And isn't it an incredible privilege for us today to sit here and have the freedom to worship and to study the word of God together? We all know that uh, there are many in our world that do not have this incredible freedom. Uh, they, would, they would long even to have uh, uh, one book of the Bible in their own particular language. And thousands of, of people groups in our world do not have what we have in our hands here. Uh, they would die for this, literally. And some are dying because they do have the Word of God in their hands. And because they are studying the Word of God, many of them in places of hiding because they don't have the same freedom that we have, but many who are found out are persecuted, put in prison, and they die as martyrs because of their faith and their belief in the truth of God's Word. And so I hope today as we consider again the Word of God and what it means to us, this Word is inspired by God Himself. And God spoke to men by the Holy Spirit, and they wrote down what God told them to say. And we have before us the whole counsel of God. And God speaks through his word. And so this morning, I want us to answer this question. Why do we need to be saturated with the word of God? Why do we need to study it? Why do we need to meditate upon it? Why do we need to memorize it? 
Why do we need that daily discipline? Number one is this. And if you'd like to take notes, those are available for you, an outline in your bulletin this morning. Number one is this. God's word is valuable. We need to be saturated with the word of God because God's word provides direction. God's word provides direction. We know the value of a good map, right? It shows us where we are going and the best way to get there. And even men who don't like to stop and ask for directions, are you one of those men? Someone said that's really why the children of Israel spent 40 years in the wilderness. Even back then, men didn't want to stop and ask for directions. <laughs> no, that was God's plan for them, <laughs> to wander that long. But you know what? We, we value that. And even if we don't like to stop and ask for directions, we value having a good map in our hands. Isn't it wonderful today with your smartphone? <laughs> it can get you anywhere that you need to go. And you can stop and pull over legally. And you can look for if you're lost and you can bring up directions as to where you need to get to go to. Psalm 119, verses 105, we read this. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That's a great verse. If you haven't memorized it, you need to memorize it. You can do that this morning, even as I preach. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God's word provides for us the direction we need in order to live for him. And do you know that verse? Well, probably because you've read it many times. And I would encourage you, maybe even this week, if, as you're looking for something to read in the Scriptures, take the time to read through all of Psalm 119. It's the longest chapter in the book of Psalms. But it provides for us great insight as to the value of the Word of God in our everyday lives. You'll read some wonderful words about God's Word. Turn back with me to the book of Joshua, chapter 1 and verse 8. When we think of God's word providing direction and the importance of God's word, listen listen to what it says. Actually, jump back into verse 7. Joshua, chapter 1, beginning in verse 7. It says this. God says to Joshua, Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law, all the word of God, that my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything that is written therein. There you will make your way prosperous, and you will have good success. You have to realize at this time in the the life of Joshua, uh, here's this man who had been a faithful follower of God. He was the only, uh, he was one of the two spies who initially were sent into the promised land by Moses. You'll remember that 40 years previous. And uh, he and Caleb came back with a positive report and said, yes, we should go and take that land. God has given it to us. And the other 10 spies, of course, came back with a very negative report, put fear into the hearts of literally millions of people. And God sent them back into the wilderness. And let me tell you, they had millions of funerals in the wilderness. It it told us at the first census back in the book of Numbers before they were to go into the promised land and the first time, there was over 600,000 men who were aged 20 and above at that point in time. Most of them would have been married. So that's close to well over a million (laughs) husbands and wives. And back in that day, they had very, very large families. So a very conservative estimate would have been when they were, that first time they were just outside the promised land and the the 12 spies came back to report, a conservative estimate would have been about 4 million 
Israelites, probably more. And they were sent back into the wilderness where a whole generation died off, all those aged 20 and over, except for Joshua and Caleb. They were preserved. And now we we jump ahead 40 years and we see Joshua now being installed as the leader. And Moses will pass away and Joshua now steps into some very large shoes. Uh, Didn't you appreciate it when your children were little? And uh, if you had a son, for example, or a daughter, and they'd want to step into mom or dad's shoes. You know, they they love wearing the high heels as a little girl or wearing dad's big loafers. They they look clumsy, right? (laughs) They look awkward. And here's Joshua. You've got to imagine, here's this man now stepping into some very large shoes. And a second census has been taken just before this point in time. And it still says there's now over 600,000 men aged 20 and over, just like before. So again, a conservative estimate, the second time when they were ready to go into the promised land, would be around 4 million people, probably higher than that. And God says to him, be strong, be courageous, be careful to do what? To obey all the law that I gave to Moses. If you're going to be successful... And you're going to be prosperous, Joshua, as a leader, as a man, as a husband, as a father, as a grandfather. You need the word of God. Be be very careful, he goes on to say, to keep it always on your lips, ready to speak the word of God. Meditate on it day and night. Now, we live in a world where it's very hard for us to pull away from everything and really to spend time meditating on the word of God. How many of you find that difficult to do? Okay, let's be honest. It's very hard for us. But God says it's important. And I would say to all of us here this morning, there needs to be a point, some point in each and every day of our lives as followers of Jesus where we spend time in the Word of God personally. You get great ministry here at Snowden, great teaching from pastors and others who preach and teach the Word of God to you. You have great classes and small groups. Those are all important. You need that, but you also need to spend time personally in the Word of God. And if you're married here this morning, (laughs) as husbands and wives, you need to spend time together in the Word of God. If you have children sitting around your breakfast or your dinner table (laughs) at the end of the day, in the morning, you need to spend time together in the Word of God. If you've got grandchildren that pop in and out of your home on occasion, or you're in their home, you need to spend time together in the Word of God. How will we make our way prosperous? How will we have good success in life? Unless we are trusting in God for the direction that he provides for us in our lives through the word. And Joshua knew that and he believed it. And God was just reinforcing that into his life as he he stepped into these large shoes where he would be the leader of this large group of God's people. You know, over over the years... I've had a lot of young people and young adults that I've served with. They they come seeking God's counsel regarding what we call God's will for their future. Um, You know, often related to those big life decisions, career, relationships, marriage, finances, kind of those big areas of everyday life. Right now as a congregation, what are you seeking God's will for? The next pastor, senior pastor that God has, whom God has for you. Those are the big areas of life where we're looking towards the future. And as they have come and asked me, how can I know God's will for the future? I always respond this way. You can know God's direction in these and other areas of your life 
if you are willing to live day by day in obedience to what God has already said is his will. Unless we are willing to strive to live in obedience what God has already told us to what God has already told us in his word, how can we expect him to lead us towards the future? For example, it says God, it's, it's God's will that you should be what? Holy. So what do we need to do as followers of Jesus? Strive to live holy lives. It's God's will, it tells us in his word in the book of James, that we need to do the good that we know we ought to do. Because if we don't, it's what? It's sin to us. The Bible tells us that we need to honor our father and mother. By the way, that commandment doesn't end when we become adults. The other nine don't. Why would that one end when we suddenly become an adult? And no matter what age you are and no matter what age your parents are, if they are still living, you still need to honor your father and your mother. Now, obviously, the relationship changes as we get older and as they get older. But we still have a responsibility. And I've learned we can honor our parents in one of two ways. We still have to do it. We can honor them out of duty just because God's told us to do it. Let me tell you, that's not a fun way to honor your parents. You still have to do it. (laughs) The greatest way to honor your parents is to honor them out of devotion, not out of duty. Why? Because you have relationship. You're in love with your parents. And we're kind of in that stage in our lives as, uh, as husband and wife, my wife Veronica and I, as, you know, we have these young adult children. One's in undergrad in University in Ottawa, our daughter, and our son is in law school in New Hampshire. So we have them, and then we have currently living two fathers who are aging and are struggling with their health. And so we're, what do we call us, right? The sandwich generation, Okay. That's what it feels like sometimes. You're kind of squeezed in the middle of all of this. But you know what? We've got to do it. Number one, God tells us to. But you know what? We seek to honor those dads out of devotion because we love them deeply. Not just because we have to, but because we want to. So it's God's will that you honor your father and your mother. (laughs) Uh, It's God's will that we should give a public testimony of our faith in Jesus by being baptized And if you have not done that this morning as a follower of Jesus, I don't care how long you've been a follower of Jesus, you need to talk to someone and you need to get that done right away. I'm sure they would fill this tank behind me over and over and over again, right? To make sure that happens. That's God's will for us. You see, God has made his will clear to Joshua. And God has made his will, will clear to each and every one of us this morning as followers of Jesus. It's right here for us. And if we're going to know God's direction from the future, for the future, we have to be striving to live out God's will from day to day because God's word provides direction for us. I learned to drive in a 1969 Plymouth Fury. Plymouth is no longer in business. <laughs> okay, they're part of the Dodge Group, Chrysler Group, and they don't make a Fury anymore. Okay, they brought the Dodge Dart back. Okay, that was around when I was a kid. But I learned a 69 Plymouth Fury. It was a big boat of a car. My parents also had a 1970 Chevy Impala. Now, if I could choose which car I would want to drive as a teenager, it would be the 1970 Chevy Impala. Okay? It had a much bigger engine, much more horsepower. I'm a young man, remember? Okay? And it had power steering, and it had an AM radio. <laughs> 69 Plymouth Fury had none of that. But my parents made me learn, not in the 70 Chevy Impala, they made me learn in the 69 Plymouth Fury. Do you know why they did that? Because it had no power steering. 
And I learned very quickly, in order to turn that steering wheel, and those were the days it was hand over hand. You couldn't just do this with your finger like we do with power steering. Hand over hand. Some of you remember that, right? Okay, Part of my age and older. Okay, You remember those days. And this big boat of a car, you could not be sitting still and turn the steering wheel. It was impossible. Not like power steering. You had to go hand over hand to turn the wheel. Let me tell you, it was fun when you had to do parallel parking on your driving test (laughs) without power steering. But you know what? That's what we learned on. And I realized very quickly, I had to be moving in a direction in order to turn the steering wheel, whether it was backwards or forwards. And I thought, you know what? It's no different than you and I today when it comes to living out God's will for our daily lives. We have to be moving towards God. We've got to be striving to to put into practice what he's already told us to do if we can expect him to direct us to the future. And I pray that's what you want. I know certainly that's what I want from my life. I want that for my children. You know, it's also true for a local church. When a local expression of the body of Christ, like here at Snowden, is striving to live out what God has already told the church to do, then he will direct that church in the months and the years ahead. And that's why corporately, you need to be striving to live out what God has told the church to do. What has God told the church to do? Go and do what? Matthew 28. Make disciples. That's not just the job of your pastors. (laughs) That's for all of us as followers of Jesus. And he's entrusted that responsibility to the church. I met a young lady this morning. She's nodding her head. Serves with InterVarsity. And I thought, what an important ministry that is on the university campuses here in this city. I served with young adults for many years. It is vitally important. You need to pray for her and for others who serve in that ministry. Because they really are on the front lines with these unsaved young people whom God is bringing literally from all over the world. And they get to hear about Jesus. But it's not just for missionaries. (laughs) It's not just for pastors. It's for all of us as followers of Jesus. That's what God has told the church to do. God's also told the church, encourage one another, love one another, bear one another's burdens. All the one another's in the Bible were written to the church. And God wants the church in obedience to his word to live out his will. Because as Snowden Baptist Church, if you want to continue to be directed towards the future and all that God has for you in the months and the years ahead, together, corporately, you need to strive to live out the word of God. So lots of pressure on our children and our young people today as to what they will do for their career, right? If, you, if you're a parent and, uh, you know, your children have been through school or are in elementary school right now especially, they probably hear a lot about their career choices, right? They move into uh, secondary school especially, and there's a lot, you know, guidance counselors, which are all good, you know, to help direct them towards the future. I remember our son at age 10 came home from grade 5 and they had a career day at school. And he came home in tears because he heard at that career day he had to figure out by that point in his life what he was going to do with his life long term because then he'd have to take courses that help direct towards that. At age 10? I don't think so, son. (laughs) We told him, don't worry about that. But you know what we do need to worry about as parents? The Bible says the steps of whom are ordered by the Lord. Of good men, good women are ordered by the Lord. But how do our children and our young people become good men and good women? By knowing the word of God and striving to live it out. That's why they need to be immersed in the word of God. 
And our responsibility as parents is not what they're going to do with their life, but who they're going to be as a follower of Jesus. And when we do that and we help them, of course, they have to choose for themselves, right, whom they are going to serve, just as Joshua did and his household. They've got to decide for themselves. But we've got to do all that we can, not worry about what they're going to do, but who they're going to be. And then the Bible says, what? The steps of good men, good women are ordered by the Lord. They can trust God. I can give testimony to that in the lives of our two children. I am so thankful. Education and the career that God is leading them into for his glory. That's what they want to do with their lives. And that's all we could ever ask as parents. Now, let me tell you, that's a lot of time on our knees. <laughs> that's going through a lot of hurdles and bumps and bruises with them. You understand that as a parent. But you know what? That's all we could ever ask is that their hearts are open towards what God wants. And our desire was that we would help them become good men, a good man, and a good woman. And then we know that God will direct them. See, God's word is so valuable because it provides direction. Number two, we need to be saturated with the word of God. And I promise you the next two points are shorter, okay? God's word brings discipline. Provides direction. It also brings discipline. Now, when we hear the word discipline, we usually think of it in a very negative way. And yet the word discipline is defined as training or instruction that leads to positive action or a change in attitude or lifestyle. Training or instruction that leads to positive action or a change in attitude or lifestyle. Turn over with me. Again, get your your hands ready. Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 5. Listen to what the Word of God says to us in regards to this whole area of discipline as followers of Jesus. Hebrews 12, beginning in verse 5. It says this. And have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that addresses you as a father addresses his son? This is God speaking to us as his children. It says this, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline. Do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines the one he loves, and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as his children. For what children are not disciplined by their father? If you are not disciplined, and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are not legitimate. True sons or true daughters. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the Father of spirits and live? They disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us. Why? For our good, in order that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. Talk about honesty. (laughs) We would agree with that. But later on, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Sometimes the discipline that God has to bring in our lives is painful. Yet God uses it for a purpose. To produce righteousness, right living. And discipline from God shows us that we are his children and that he loves us too much to allow us to carry on in sin. And often in my life, I've found God has used the word of God to discipline me. I've sat and listened to someone preach, and it's as though I was the only person sitting in the audience. It's like he knew the week I just had. (laughs) You ever sat there and that's happened to you? Now, the pastor doesn't know that. (laughs) 
But you know what? You feel like he does. And when he might point his finger, you think, wow, that's right at me this morning because I needed to hear that. And it's not just the hearing and the reading of God's word, but then it's our response to the discipline that God brings to our lives. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, great verses to memorize. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching, reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Why? So the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for what? Every good work. If you ever forget my surname, it's in the Bible. My surname is Thorogood. Okay? If you want to be thorough and good, what do you need? The word of God. Thoroughly equipped for what? Every good work. It's right there in the scriptures. Okay? Let me tell you, I've got a big name to live up to. <laughs> and then my parents called me Godfrey as well. That just adds to the, the responsibility of living up to that name. God's word, it says, is useful. It's profitable for us. And you know what? Though it's hard at times when God has to use his word to bring discipline into my life, it's for my good. And let me tell you, my, my wife appreciates when God uses his word to bring discipline into my life because it changes me from the inside out. My kids appreciate when God has to use his word to bring discipline into my life. And my brothers and sister, sisters in Christ. Turn back to Hebrews chapter 4. We were in chapter 12 a little bit earlier, but go back to Hebrews chapter 4. Listen again as we think about the value of God's word. Just, just in verse 12 of Hebrews chapter 4, it says this. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and the attitudes of our hearts. Don't you love it when God just uses his word in that way? And if we are willing to open our hearts and our minds to listen to what God is saying to us, God will use it to change us. Remember, living things grow, and what? (laughs) There's no growth without change. And if we're going to grow as followers of Jesus, we have to be willing to let the word of God change us from the inside out. God uses his word to, to examine our own heart motives, and when he does, it leads us to repentance and to a change in behavior. I heard a quote many years ago when I was a teenager, and it stuck with me. It said this, this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. And we have a choice to make. Nobody can make that for us as individuals. And each and every one of us here this morning needs to decide and determine before God that I am going to be immersed in the word of God because I need this. Because I am a sinner who's been saved by grace. And I need to change from the inside out. God's word brings discipline. Go back with me to Psalm 19 for just a moment. Again, these are some rich words for us out of the book of Psalms, which just to remind us again of the incredible value of the word of God in this area of discipline. It says this, Psalm 19 beginning in verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to our eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The decrees of the Lord are firm, and all of them are righteous. All those things are the word of God, the the law, the statutes, the precepts, the commands, the decrees. That's the word of God. 
And then verse 10. They are more precious than gold. Than much pure gold. Sweeter than honey. Than honey from the honeycomb. By them is your servant warned. And in keeping them, what? The precepts, the commands, the statutes, the disciplines. Keeping those things, there is great reward. As we strive to live out the word of God. Verse 11 tells us this. There is safety and security for us as followers of Jesus, as children of God, when we live within the boundaries that God has set down for us in his word. Uh, Where I grew up, spent most of my childhood, um, was in Georgetown, Ontario. My dad still lives in the the home that I grew up in. My parents immigrated uh, from England when I was four years of age. I told my parents when they told my older brother and I that we were immigrating from England to Canada that I was going to join them on that trip. I thought that was pretty smart as a four-year-old. And we landed in Brampton for two years, and then my parents bought their first home in Georgetown. In those days, homes had mammoth backyards. We had a small house, but we had a mammoth backyard. Do you remember those days? But the first thing my parents did after we moved into that home was they put a six-foot fence across the back of our property. There was a major road through town that passed behind that property. Then they put four-foot fences down the side, each side, four-foot fences up to the side of the house with gates on either side attached to those four-foot fences. Those were the days, by the way, when people still talked to their neighbors over the fence. That's why it was only four-foot tall. Our neighbors put in a swimming pool. Don't you love it when your neighbors put in a swimming pool and you have a good relationship with your neighbors? And you can look longingly over that four-foot fence as a four- and five- and six-year-old and and see the swimming pool on a hot, humid summer day and we didn't have air conditioning in our home? And you'd get invited over to the neighbors to go swimming. Well, our neighbors, when they put in that pool, we already had one four-foot fence between us. They put another four-foot fence down the other side. They had a six-foot fence across the back of their property. And do you know what they had the audacity to do? They put another fence around the swimming pool, a chain-link fence, with a gate and with a lock on the gate. Why all these fences? Was it to take away our fun as a six-year-old and a nine-year-old little boy? You know what little boys get up to, right? <laughs> we want to go over the backyard fence, okay? Because we want to investigate what's over the fence, Why did my parents and neighbors put up all those fences? It wasn't to take away our fun. It was to keep us safe. And as long as we lived and played within the boundaries of the backyard fence, we had nothing to fear. And I would say to you this morning, as followers of Jesus, as we come under the discipline of God's word, as long as we live within the safety of the backyard fence that God has provided for us, we have nothing to fear. It's when we step outside of God's will for our everyday lives as followers of Jesus that we get into trouble. (laughs) When we live outside of God's will for our lives. And even as adults, we still need the fences. Because guess what? You're going to be a child of God for the rest of your life. You'll be an adult when you get to heaven. (laughs) But until that day, no matter what age you are this morning, you're going to be a child of God for the rest of your life. And guess what children do? Childish things. And sometimes we do foolish things, even as an adult child of God. So we need the boundaries. We we need the framework that God has provided for us. Again, not to take away our joy. Because Jesus said what? I am come that you might have life and you might have it how? What does it say? See, you know it, right? Because you've been saturated with it. Good for you. More abundantly. It's when we step outside the boundaries. It's when our children step outside the boundaries. And our young people. And we as adults, that's when we get into trouble. 
And we need to strive to live within the discipline that God provides for us, the safety of the backyard fence. Many people look at God's commands as restrictive. God says they're rewarding. Many see them as souring their life. God says, no, they are sweet. People would say God's commands are pointless and irrelevant to our time and culture in 2016. God says they are more precious than what? Than gold. I'm not sure what the value of gold is. I don't have any stock in gold that I'm aware of, unless someone's put some away for me. But I know gold is extremely valuable. And God says, guess what? This is more valuable than gold. Solomon would attest to that. He had an abundance of gold, and yet he realized at the end of his life, he had nothing. (laughs) It was meaningless. The discipline of God's word is needed. Lastly, as we wrap up this morning, it says this. God's word provides direction. God's word brings discipline. But lastly, God's word leads to dedication. It leads us to dedication. Romans 10, 17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God, by the word of truth. That God uses his word to bring us to faith in Jesus, right? That's how I came to faith in Jesus. That's why when we're sharing our faith with others, we need to communicate the truth of God's word. They need to know what God says, that they are sinners who need to be saved by God's grace. They need to know that the wages of sin is what? is death, eternal separation from God in the place that the Bible clearly calls hell. That's not popular today, but guess what? That's the gospel. What we all deserve to be paid, the wages of our sin, is eternal separation from God. But, don't you love the word but in the Bible? (laughs) But the gift of God is what? Eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. See, we need to communicate the truth of God's word when we're sharing the gospel. And God still uses his word today to lead people to that most important decision to trust in Jesus Christ as their savior and to dedicate their lives to him. Now, sometimes people will reject that message. They're not rejecting you, though it feels like it and you're extremely sad. They're rejecting God. They're rejecting God's gift of grace that's been provided for them. I remember one time I was preaching in my last church and when I was a senior pastor, and we were working our way through the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount. By the way, read those three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Great truth for us in how we are to live as citizens of God's kingdom on this earth. And we got to the passage that talked about the, 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 the narrow gate and the narrow road that leads to eternal life. And there was a young lady in our congregation, young adult age, and she was dating a young man in our congregation who was a believer. She was not a believer. So automatically, he was living outside of God's everyday will for his life. And he knew that, yet he carried on in that relationship. And she was coming to church regularly. And we got to that particular Sunday where I preached that truth. And she said to me on the way out of the door, I'm never coming back to this place. I cannot believe that. I can't believe that Jesus is the only way to have eternal life and to have my sins forgiven. Obviously, the young man broke off the relationship at that point. He never should have entered into that relationship because that's outside of God's will for his life. But he had to come to that place himself. And was I sad? Extremely sad. Because she'd been coming faithfully. And you're you're praying earnestly that the word of God is, is by the Holy Spirit penetrating her heart. And she would make that decision. But when we came to that hard, real truth, she couldn't handle it. I don't know what happened to her afterwards. I pray that at some point 
she would get down on her knees and realize that Jesus is the only way. And after we come to faith in Christ, we still need to learn the word, study the word, memorize the word, live out the word of God. We have to move it from our heads to our hearts. We want his word to grip our lives and to change us from the inside out. I want to keep feeding on the meat of God's word, not just milk. Babes in Christ need milk. That's what they can digest. That gets them started, right? Just like we do with a baby, <laughs> to give, give them a healthy start. But they then need to move on to the meat of God's word. As followers of Christ, we are to begin with the elementary basic teaching of the Bible in order to lay a good foundation for future growth. And then we move on to solid food. And that's when we really begin to grow up in our faith. But I find for a lot of followers of Jesus, after a few years, it kind of peters out. We've got to keep digging in. There's always something new to learn. Amen. Never stop learning. Never stop growing. By the way, it says to us in the book of Hebrews, one of those elementary truths, so this is for baby Christians, okay? One of those elementary truths is they need to know about judgments. Well, where would you teach someone in the Bible about judgments? The book of Revelation talks all about judgment. How often do we teach baby Christians the book of Revelation? But we need to be doing that because you know what? They need to know what they've been saved from so that they can be strong in their walk with Jesus. I would say to you this morning, as we dig into the word of God, it leads us to greater dedication of our whole being in serving and living for God alone. Dedicate yourselves as individuals, as parents, as a congregation, to keeping the word of God central in your home and in your church. Lead by example as you spend personal time in the word of God. The more you know, the more you should grow. How is that a good slogan? for followers of Jesus. The more you know, the more you should grow. Take some time as a family to read the word of God and to pray together. You'd be amazed at how many families do not sit down for dinner together any longer. If that's the case in your family, you need to change that. Start with one night a week. I know everybody's busy. Everybody has their schedules. But there's something special about the family gathering back together around the family table. It's very biblical, by the way. And that's where we can share together. We can come back together. We can catch up on the day. And we can pray together and study the word of God together. I read recently that only one in four children ever ever spend any time with their parents praying or reading the Bible. Only one in four. We got to change that statistic. You see, as followers of Jesus, we need to be saturated by the word of God. God's word provides direction. It brings discipline. And ultimately, it leads us. To dedication. So you know what? In the time, and you've been very gracious this morning, I'm landing the plane just before noon, okay? <laughs> but thanks for being gracious. But you know what? This morning, I've saturated your minds with the word of God, right? There's a lot for you to take in this morning. There's a lot for me to take in. But now we have to ask God as we sing our closing song, make it a personal prayer to move it from our heads to where? To our hearts. And then from our hearts to our actions as we seek to live out the truth of God's word that we've heard this morning. Meditate on it. Study it. Make it part of your everyday life. Memorize it. Make it part of your home. Make it, I know it's already part of your church, but the reality of God's word. And you know what? God bless you as you strive to do that. Remember, Satan doesn't want you to do it. Sin will keep you from this book, but this book 
will keep you from sin. Let me pray as the worship team comes. Father, we love you. Thank you for these gracious and kind people this morning. Thank you that I can call them my brothers and sisters in Christ. And one day we will spend eternity together. Won't that be absolutely incredible? Thank you. And it's only because of the Lord Jesus that that will be my privilege to spend eternity with these men and women. And Lord, I pray that you would bless them as individuals, as families. Bless them as Snowden Baptist Church. Give them great influence in this city for the Lord Jesus Christ. May many come to know and understand who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for them as a result of these men and women and these young people, these boys and girls who love you deeply and desire to live out the truth of your word. Guide them as a congregation in the future as well, we pray. We know that you will. And again, Lord, I want to thank you for the privilege of being here today. I love you. And I thank you for these men and women, these young people. Lord, help us to live out the reality of what we have shared together this morning. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.